If you need a Bible this morning, Dan's in the back. He'll be glad to supply you with Bible we keep in the back just for that purpose. There's also a little note page in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind, pull that out as well. And we're going to begin by uh, simply reading the first nine verses of Galatians chapter 1. And we'll pray over those verses because we're going to be in there today and, and see what God has for us. Let's pray together. Or let's, let's enjoy the, the passage first and then we'll pray. Galatians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed accursed. Let's pray together and give our time to the Lord. Father, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, this is your word. You wrote this. You put it down on the page for us. How we thank you for your word today, Heavenly Father. How we thank you for the whole book that we hold in our laps, your heart on the printed page. We thank you for not being a God who is silent and far off, but one who has come near to us, both by your word, by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we appeal to you now in these moments. Your people did not come to hear me. They came to hear you. They have come to hear your truth. I'm honored that you would allow me to be the mouthpiece through which you might speak today. But let them hear you. When we leave this place, we want to be able to say it's been good to be in your house, to be with your people, and to have heard you. For your glory, we ask it. We also would remember our kids in Sunday school right now. Pray your blessing upon them. May may Jesus, you just make yourself visible to them in just the perfect way for their age. Let them know that you're real. And we love you for you loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, last time, you know that we launched a brand new study series together, a verse-by-verse explore of this amazing New Testament book of Galatians. And if you weren't with us last time, well, now you know what we did last week, right? So if, if I were to ask those of you who were with us last time to take the Galatians letter, it's six chapters, and And I asked you to reduce this letter down to its one super concentrated, all-encompassing, easy-to-remember truth. If I asked you to do that, to capture the, the, the heart and soul of the message of the book of Galatians after just one week in the book, could you do that? And if you could do that, what would you say is the concentrated message of Galatians? 
Yes. Can we do it one more time in concert together? Let's do it one more time. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do you believe that? Absolutely. That is the message of this book. But that is also the message of true Christianity, isn't it? True biblical Christianity. This is the heart of the message. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, this was the message that the Apostle Paul and his missionary companions carried with them in about the year 48 A.D. to the region of south-central Turkey, which um, we'll put a map up on the screen for you. And uh, though you can't see the tiniest print, you at least can orient yourself uh, with the Mediterranean Sea and uh, the land of Israel and Egypt. And that whole area up north, that's, that's modern-day Turkey. Well, the center of that country in Paul's day was a region called Galatia. And so that's where Paul went on his very first uh, missionary journey, sent out by his church to take the gospel into new places that had never heard about Jesus before. And so for several months, he and his companions traveled in this region sharing the gospel message. And what is the gospel message? That's a word that gets tossed around. This word gospel gets tossed around with some frequency in our Christian circles. But, but what is it? Well, we talked about that last time. The gospel is who Jesus is and what he has done appropriated into my life by grace through faith. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but the expansion of that thought is who Jesus is, what he has done appropriated into my life by grace through faith. And that really is the book of Galatians. It brings us face to face with the gospel. Who Jesus is, eternal, holy, sinless, sovereign God, clothed in human flesh. What he has done. Well, he came into my sinful world. He died on a cross, paid the sin debt that I could never pay, assumed the penalty of death and separation from God forever. That was meant for me because of the sin in my life. He dies for me. He rises from the dead, having conquered sin's penalty and the grave. God gives me his Holy Spirit then, to live in me so that I can live well for him now in this life. And then he promises to give me heaven to enjoy him personally and relationally with forever. And I appropriate all of that into my life by grace. Not because of anything that I have done, not because I deserved for God to do that or merited his kindness or his favor. By grace, I appropriate all of this truth into my life through faith. Simple, childlike trust in the person of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. That is the gospel. Condensed down into that one little kind of pregnant statement is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we never outgrow the need for the gospel, do we, brothers and sisters? We never outgrow that need. We might think that that the gospel is something that we we need in order to enter into the Christian life. It's, it's how we get into salvation. But then living the Christian life, we might think, requires something else or something more. And it's just not true. As we noted last time, the gospel is the whole of the Christian life for the Christian for the whole of their life. And there must never be any confusion in our hearts or our minds as followers of Jesus about that. We enter into a relationship with God through the truth of the gospel and we stay in it 
for the rest of eternity as well, don't we? Yeah. Well, the problem that prompts the writing of the book of Galatians by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that no sooner does Paul leave the gospel safe in the hands of these brand new believers in these churches that are scattered in southern central Turkey, no no sooner does he leave that place than false teachers come in right behind him. And we learned last night time that they're called the, the Judaizers and they seek out these new believers and these brand new churches and they immediately begin to introduce another gospel, a different gospel. And their message went like this, Jesus plus other things equals everything. That was their gospel message. The Judaizers claimed to believe in the truth of Jesus, recognizing him as Messiah, agreeing that his death on the cross was important, it was valuable, you need Jesus. But then they wanted to take it farther than that. They never would have gotten very far with the Galatian Christians if they had denied Jesus, so they weren't opposed to Jesus. But then they go on to say that these new Galatian believers, if they really want to be right with God, truly saved, accepted by him, well, then, then they must observe Old Testament laws and rituals and customs and traditions, practices handed down from God to Moses and from Moses to the Jewish people. And so you would hear the false teacher say, Hey, Galatian believers, if you're going to become a true follower of Jesus, a true Christian, a real Christian, then you must be as devoted to the rules of Judaism as we Jews are devoted to those rules. You can follow Jesus, you need Jesus, but you better do the Jewish ceremonies, observe the Jewish holy days and holidays, and and you Gentile non-Jewish men, you better be circumcised like the Jewish man is circumcised if you really want to know salvation and be right with God. Jesus plus other things equals everything. These Judaizers were seeking to rewrite the definition of the true gospel, the nature of the true gospel. So let's not let there be any confusion amongst us here. The moment that anyone adds any other requirement to the work of Jesus on the cross and his empty tomb of resurrection as the grounds for our being loved by God and accepted by God, what have we done? We've abandoned the true gospel, haven't we? The moment that we revise the true gospel, in that moment we have ruined it, haven't we? We talked about this last time. And and really that's what prompts then Paul to immediately fire off this letter to the Galatian believers. He's learned about what's happened to them. Dangerous, really dangerous religious vultures have kind of swooped down on them and Paul uh, has, has been so careful to lovingly and, 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 uh, and deeply impart to them this, this gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus alone. And his first century audience is threatened. These new believers in several different towns, their, their faith is being threatened in this moment. And so his passion for the true gospel is going to come out. And it's going to come out very strongly in the verses that are before us now. He wants one gospel to be presented 
and lived out of the Christian's life. Lived out, believed, and passed on to others. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit intended for the recipients of this letter to be a much larger group than just the Galatian believers. He intended that believers in every age would have the truth of the true gospel. And so we are here, 21st century Christians at Idlewild Bible, and we're getting a fresh charge, a fresh challenge to keep the true gospel at the center of our own lives. And what, again, is the true gospel? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 1 are in our sights this morning. And man, do we hear not only the passion of Paul in these verses for the true gospel, but we also hear his pained heart as he dives straight into the issues that are threatening his friends. And so in these verses, we are going to discover three key things about the true gospel. As you see them there on your note page, the grace of the true gospel, the order of the true gospel, and the seriousness of the true gospel on the back side. As we learned last time, Galatians is like none of the other 12 letters and books that Paul writes in the New Testament. For him, the issue is so serious, the threat that the Judaizers pose is so grave that he literally dispenses with his usual, more gentle, uh, affirming, encouraging style as he gets into a letter. He's only three sentences into this book. And already Paul is all business. He just kind of pushes right through and gets to the central issue of the moment. Verse 6. I am what? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished. I'm amazed. I'm bewildered. I'm astounded. If Paul were, were writing this letter today, he would say, I'm blown away. Or he'd say, are you kidding me? Really? He could hardly comprehend that the Galatian believers were already, less than a year after he had been with them, so quickly, he says, you're abandoning the truth that I had given to you, which really you had gotten straight from Jesus through me. Paul was not at all surprised that there would be false teachers coming in behind, promoting another gospel. But he really is shocked by how easily these new Christians were led away from the God who had called them, he says, into a relationship with him by means of the grace of Christ. They're deserting salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, the true gospel. They're forsaking that for the works and performance and rule-keeping relationship with God that the Judaizers are promoting. This has all happened so quickly that Paul is just, he's just shocked. Scarcely can believe it. Now, though it is at the expense of the Galatian believers church family here today, right now, what we see in Galatia, what we see happening here in this moment is a great warning for us. It's a great reminder to us of how you and I must never for a moment drop our guard and just kind of coast in our Christian life. We cannot afford to do that. There will always be a great and urgent need for us to continually 
repeat and reaffirm and restate to one another the central truths of the Bible that we've heard maybe a thousand times in sermons and messages and home Bible study groups and and on our own as we've read the scriptures. We've heard the truths over and over and over again, but we can never state them too often. It is possible even for long-time believers to lose that firm grip on these central truths of our faith and and then embrace perhaps an idea that that on the surface sounds rather attractive, but in the end it, it has no place. It's not found in God's word at all. And this is one of the reasons God gives us his church, isn't it? He gives us the church so that we can reaffirm and declare over and over and over again the truths that make our faith real and alive and true. Recall with me what the Apostle Peter says to some first century Christians on this point. In first in Second Peter chapter one, he, he writes this. He says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory, Peter says. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. This was true in the first century. It's no less true in the 21st century. Paul's seeking to do that right here. The Galatians were true believers in Jesus. They had salvation in Jesus purely by grace through faith in him alone. But they have become seriously confused. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. The true gospel is a grace gospel. Would you agree with that? The true gospel is a grace gospel. What does Paul mean when he says here in verse 6, God called you in the grace of Christ? What does that mean? That's a phrase that, that we don't use every day. What does that mean? What did he mean by that? Well, the grace, of, the grace of Christ is God's free, sovereign act of love and mercy in which he grants us salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, apart from anything that we are and apart from anything that we could ever do. That's grace, the grace of Christ. God's grace, totally undeserved, unmerited, unearned. He gives me Jesus, not because of anything I do or anything that I am. The one true gospel is totally unique in the world, isn't it? Every other belief system in the world tells us that we must do something to attract the interest or gain the approval of God, the acceptance of God. Every belief system, you can look at any other belief system in the world and you will find that thread moving through that belief system. The true gospel, the grace gospel, says no, it is all of God. It has no human contributing element. Paul says you are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. It's not we who call God into our lives, brothers and sisters. It's God who calls us into his life. Yes? How cool is that? That is so very cool. We don't call God into our lives. Hey, come. No, he calls us into his life. And he does it all by pure grace, doesn't he? Not by anything that you are, not because of anything that you've done. 
And only the true gospel is the gospel of grace. Forgiveness of sin, salvation totally apart from any work or merit that we might bring to the table. On your note page, we'll put it up on the screen as well, two verses that you know well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. They say this about as clear as we'll ever find it stated in Scripture. In fact, you suppose we could just read this together, church family, right off the screen? Let's do it aloud together. You know these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we say amen and amen to that great truth. Even the faith, brothers and sisters, even the faith to believe in Jesus, this passage tells us, comes from God. We don't even conjure that up. We don't even make that happen. Because if we did make that happen, what would we do? We'd boast about that. Oh, I came to faith. I found faith before you did. No, we can't do that. There is no boasting of any kind in the true gospel because our salvation comes totally, completely, 100% from God himself. God's grace makes it possible. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, there on your note page, says this. Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, we've been pronounced not guilty before a holy God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this what? Into this grace in which we are now standing. This morning you are standing. Well, you're sitting. I'm standing. But you are sitting in what? The pure grace of God, aren't you? Yeah, we live in grace from the very first second that we trust Jesus. We stand on grace every moment for the rest of our Christian life. And it is only the grace of God that enables us to have the strength to do anything that is good or pleasing to him at all. To a young pastor named Timothy, Paul says this, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So from where Paul sits, it is absurd to accept a pure grace salvation from God through faith in Jesus and then turn around and endeavor to maintain that salvation or improve upon that salvation through human effort, through human ceremonies or rituals or traditions or customs, which is exactly what the Judaizers were telling the Christians in Galatia to do. Trade grace for legalism. Trade grace for rule keeping. Paul said it's absurd. I'm astonished that you would even entertain that thought. We live in the grace of our God from the first moment of our undeserved salvation and only in that grace. And if his grace ever stopped for even one moment... Our salvation would end and we would perish in our sin. Agreed? Because that's the truth. If you and I are saved people right now, it's not because of anything that we have done for God. It is because of what God has done for us because he is gracious towards us. And amen is right, Luana. So let's not be fooled. The most destructive threat 
to your Christian life, to my Christian life. The greatest danger today to Jesus' church, it's, it's not... It's not atheism. It's not pagan religions. It's not these off-the-wall cults. It's, it's not those who openly deny the scriptures and reject the Bible and push Jesus away and, and say he's nothing. None of that is a threat to us today. The greatest threats to us in our Christian life and to his church have always come from sub, supposedly Christian movements that accept so much biblical truth but then there is this tiny little bit of seemingly insignificant harmless untruth that gets injected in the real danger is there isn't it to you and me it's like a like a a single drop of poison that gets gets put into a a pure life-giving bucket of water just one tiny little drop of poison but it can make that entire bucket lethal if you drink it. So too, a single false idea that in any way undercuts God's grace in our lives, that poisons the entire way of salvation. And so Paul here, he he refuses to tolerate a single drop of legalism being intermixed with God's pure grace. To turn away from any part of the grace of Christ is to turn away from the power of God to save and to begin trusting in the power of human effort to save. And Paul says, that just can't be. That's the different gospel. Paul says that at the end of verse 6. That is a different gospel. Which brings us to verse 7. And a second key thing about the true gospel that Paul drives home to these believers and to us, and that is the order of the true gospel. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The distorted teaching of the Judaizers were apparently presented by them so skillfully, so persuasively, that they were accepted by the Galatians as just another form of, of the true gospel. And that's the danger. It kind of looks like Christianity, but it's not. Paul says, no way. Legalism, following rules in order to be accepted by God, is an entirely different gospel. In fact, he adds, it's no gospel at all because there's only one true gospel. It's only one message of good news, and that's the gospel of grace offered to sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's it. Any message that calls for either more or less than Jesus is not good news. It's not the gospel. But there are some who trouble you, he says. The word trouble, interesting word here. Maybe your version says disturbing you. It's a little Greek word, terrasso. Literally means to shake back and forth or to agitate or to stir. Used by Paul here, it refers to the Galatians contending with something that is deeply disturbing to them in their spiritual life and it's creating within them some kind of an unsettled mind, an unsettled conviction. You are troubled. You are You are disturbed. It's the exact same word that Matthew used to describe King Herod 
when he heard about the birth of Jesus, the long-awaited king. And he was troubled in his thinking by the fact that the Messiah might have come. It's the word that was used to describe the disciples when they saw Jesus walking on the water in the Gospels. They were troubled. They were disturbed. Just like you and I would be if we saw somebody walking on water, right? They were disturbed and troubled. It's the word Jesus used when he said to his disciples in the night before he was crucified in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be, what? Troubled. Don't let them be disturbed. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Although they are oblivious to it, these believers in these Galatian churches are being shaken to their very foundation by the false teaching of the Judaizers. Adding human works to God's grace. That's not just troubling. For Paul, it is a deadly distortion of the gospel of Christ. The word distort there in verse 7 carries the idea of turning something into its opposite. Not only perverting it, but actually reversing it completely. The tiniest little bit of human effort or good works or rule-keeping being added to the gospel of Jesus reverses the order of the gospel. It completely changes the character, the nature of the gospel. And we need to understand that. Instead of our salvation being based first and only on the merits of Jesus, and then secondly, from that place of understanding what God has done for us, flow our good works and our obedience as an expression of our love for God, well, this other gospel distorts that message and says, no, you do this and this and this. Oh, yeah, do that. Um, observe this ritual. Keep that Jewish holiday. Practice this custom. And then believe in Jesus as well. Do all of that and God will accept you. You'll experience salvation. Legalism reverses the salvation order. And there's only one way it can go. The order matters, doesn't it, church family? Doesn't the order of the gospel matter? You better believe it does. The false gospel? If I do all these good things and, and I believe in Jesus, then God will accept me. What is the true gospel? God graciously accepts me fully through faith in Jesus alone. Not because of anything that I have done and I want to do all these good things now as a means and way of delighting his heart for what he's already done for me. That's the order. We do not clean up our sinful selves and then hope that God will want us, do we? It's not how it works. We agree with God that we are sinfully dirty and then we trust Jesus to make us 100% clean by his cross and his resurrection. That's it. And then the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can do good works that bring pleasure and delight to the heart of our God. The order is really important. Notice again the order from the passage that we read a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the first order of the gospel, isn't it? Faith in Jesus apart from works. But the very next verse, verse 10, says this. For we, 
are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2 verse 10. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus only, and then good works that God designed for us to do to bring more glory to himself. That's the order. That's the true gospel. And if we ever flip that around, or if you ever hear anybody else flipping that around, distorting the true gospel, man, you just know that instantly, if you embrace that, you lose your joy, you lose your security, you you lose your freedom that Jesus bought for you with his blood. And do you think it's a serious thing, church family, to reverse the true order of the gospel? Do you think that's a serious thing to God? (laughs) I think it's a very serious thing to him. In fact, verses 8 and 9 make that very clear. Paul lays out the true gospel for us in his letter, and then he presents this third key thing about the true gospel and that is that it is extremely serious if you mess with it verse 8 but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be what accursed accursed really really paul accursed you know that word accursed translates the the Greek word anathema. You ever heard that word? Anathema refers to that which is devoted to destruction. That is a word right there. Paul was literally saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let such a teacher who distorts the true gospel be hell bound. And I'm not overstating the case. That's exactly what he says. Is that serious? For Paul to say such a thing just exposes the importance of getting the true gospel right and the order right by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. He feels this so deeply. He's so passionate for the true gospel. He feels it in the deepest part of who he is. He realizes his friends in Galatia, man, they are in danger great danger. Paul says, even if I or one of my companions were to come back to you again and we changed the message that we came with you in the beginning, came to with you in the beginning, the message that came straight from Jesus, or if an angel should should come down from heaven and hand you anything other than the grace alone gospel. Do not believe them. Do not listen to them. Don't even give them the time of day. Let them be hell bound. That's serious stuff. Mentoring, uh, mentioning here an angel probably was not just something that Paul did to, to kind of get some dramatic impact the Jews believed that the law of God in the Old Testament was delivered by angelic messengers to Moses it's talked about in Hebrews chapter 2 and so these Judaizers when they came in after Paul may have actually made the point to the Galatians that well if angels delivered the, the law to Moses And all of these accompanying ceremonies and traditions and rules that we practice were delivered by angels. And Paul is just a man. 
then you need to obey what the angels gave. And so Paul is, is countering that possibility. Of course, Paul would never have preached a different gospel, nor would an angel who came from heaven preach a different gospel than the one that we just talked about. But the apostles reaching for the most fanciful impossibilities in order to make his point, no messenger, no matter how seemingly godly or good they are, should be followed, should be believed, if their teaching does not square with the true gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't listen. Every teacher or preacher needs to be evaluated against that standard before any other standard. What is the message? Is it Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Or is it Jesus plus other things equals everything? Follow the one who teaches Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The other one is hellbound. Serious business. We must ever be vigilant, church family, because 2 Corinthians 11.14 says Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He looks good. Many false belief systems today are very attractive to large numbers of people because they emotionally appeal to love, brotherhood, unity, harmony, tolerance, acceptance. Many false teachers are popular because they seem to be warm and pleasant and they speak really well and have lots of funny stories and and they claim to have a great love for God and a great love for other people. We must always be asking this question, though. Is the true gospel in your message? Is it? So serious is this that Paul restates his warning. He said it in verse 8, but he warns again in verse 9, just in case they missed it. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be hell-bound. That's the standard, isn't it? That's how we'll measure every speaker, every teacher, Everyone who puts themselves up as a messenger for God. What are you saying? Is it Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Or do I have to do something to make it work? IBC family, may we be as passionate for the true gospel as the Apostle Paul was. Understanding clearly the seriousness of what we're handling. Like Paul, may we grasp the order of the true gospel. It's Jesus first, Jesus only, and then come the good works that make God smile, but as an expression of our love for Him, not our way of securing His love. And always and ever are we living in the pure grace of the true gospel, the grace of Christ, free unearned, undeserved love and mercy coming from God, granting us salvation through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection apart from anything that I am or anything that I do. May that be our passion, the one true gospel. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray together.